Well, good morning. We're sure glad that you are with us this morning. And I guess I'm glad I was Matt out here with uh, Dr. Bill Atkinson. I, I appreciate Pastor Appreciation Month, but it's one of those awkward holidays, you know. It's like, is that a holiday? What is that? <laughs> I really appreciate our elder board, and I appreciate all of our staff, and I appreciate all of our volunteers. And so uh, it's kind of like the two chipmunks. Uh, I appreciate you. Oh, no, I appreciate you. <laughs> We've got a great team here, and uh, it's just a privilege for me. Um, just to be a part of what God's doing here. And we're glad that you're with us this morning. Um, we're continuing our series called uh, God Quest. And I, I just want to ask you a question. Does anybody know what this is? How do you explain to somebody what that is? <laughs> that is a stop sign. Yeah. So I was at uh, Costco the other day and I was out pumping gas. And uh, I got the, my wife and one of the kids was in the car. And so I got back in the car and there's this lively discussion about stop signs. And so uh, I was waiting for the car to go in front of me, and then I got caught up into the conversation as well. We were watching cars that were coming through that stop sign in front of the gas station. They'd just go, whoop, whoop, and they just kind of kept going. And some were just, just going right through it. And so uh, it was really interesting to uh, talk about um, how we're supposed to behave at a stop sign, to which um, I got thrown under the bus a little bit because I grew up in California, and we had a California stop which is uh, you kind of pull up and you, you stop, but then you, you move. And so it wasn't a four-second stop on a motorcycle. Your foot has to touch the ground. And so I would go, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, but that's not how stop signs work, do they? You're supposed to stop. This is not what I did. What do you teach your kids when they're learning to drive? Stop, look, think, listen, and then go. And so a stop sign is supposed to mean it's a full stop. And uh, so we need something probably that looks like this. Stop. No, really. <laughs> you got to stop. <laughs> I think sometimes that's the way their Christian life is. You know, we can come into a God Quest series where, you know, Jesus is God. Well, yeah, I knew that. Well, you know, the Bible is true. Well, yeah, I knew that. And so um, there is a God. Well, yeah, I know that. Uh, but sometimes uh, it, we, it's, we, we get complacent and we forget that, hey, these things mean something. You know, there is a God, and he wants us to serve him, glorify him uh, with our lives. And uh, the Bible is true. We can trust it. This is the most important book we can have when it comes to where we spend our time and what we read. But what do our lives look like? And so, you know, the Christian life can sometimes be like a stop sign. There's things that we know, but really, we need to really know some of the uh, things that are in Scripture. And we really do need to come to a stop sign when we come to a uh, to the stop sign. So some of these things, as we go through this series together, uh, might have been pretty basic. There is a God. Well, yeah, I, I, I know there's a God. Um, but what is truth? Well, you know, I know Jesus is truth. Is the Bible true? Well, yeah, I can trust the Bible. Um, but but do we? And do our lives reflect the fact that there is a God? Do our lives reflect that the Bible is true? And do we understand why people suffer? Today we're going to be looking at who is Jesus. And so do we behave and as if we really do understand who Jesus is, or if it's just one of these things that, well, you know, Jesus is God, and so we're on to the next thing. And so it's my prayer as we go through this series together that you've really been able to glean some biblical truths that you've been able to apply to your life, because it's not just about filling our heads with knowledge, it's about God transforming our heart. And so regardless of how basic some of these truths are, um, they are relevant for our life today. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, hey, this series has been okay, but I'm hoping that you'll be able to understand the intent was to really help people to be able to internalize these things. And I can guarantee you that there's some here this morning that do have questions about that. And we're going to talk about this in just a little bit. But when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, 
um, you know, what are your thoughts about who Jesus is? And so this next slide, we're just asking the question, who is Jesus? And let me ask you this, where do you go to answer that question? How do you explain to somebody who Jesus is? And let me ask you this, how would you do it without the Bible? And so if you did not have the Bible uh, readily available, how would you describe to somebody who Jesus is? And so if you've got somebody sitting next to you, or maybe if you're by yourself, just contemplate this. But share some ideas with the person next to you, or think about this. How would you share Jesus with somebody without using Scripture? So let me tell you, so just give you a minute to do that. What do you come up with? How do you share Jesus without the Bible? Anybody come up with an idea? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times I talk to people about who Jesus is. It's like, well, it just it's in the Bible. That's not even real. I don't know if I can trust it. So that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. The Bible is trustworthy. We can. But for somebody that doesn't believe that Scripture is trustworthy or does have questions about that, talking about who Jesus is can be difficult. Hopefully each of us would be able to say, hey, look, uh, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not really not sure where to find that or I'm not quite sure how to explain that. But let me tell you this, Jesus Christ changed my life. And so your life would be an example of how you could talk to somebody about who Jesus is without using Scripture. You know, I heard about Jesus. He changed my life. Let me tell you about what I know. And so that's something you could use. Interestingly enough, there is, a, there is just a, uh, a large amount of material uh, that is not in the Bible about Jesus. I mean, there's just a, there's tons of material, and there's a couple of examples. I know Josephus uh, was a historian that uh, lived in Palestine. He was uh, recognized uh, in the community as being a very wise man, and he wrote in AD 37, just a few years after Jesus was crucified, he wrote about Jesus being this amazing teacher and wrote about Jesus' life. And in the, his documentation and the stuff that they found, talked about all the miracles that Jesus did. So that's not in the Bible. That's just from a historian who wrote about um, Jesus at that period. Thallius was a secular writer that in AD 52 wrote in his journals and in some of his material about this person that Jesus that lived, about his followers. And he wrote that there was a man named Jesus. They crucified him, talked about the crucifixion, and then talked about the earthquake that was supposedly to happen um, after his crucifixion. And so he's got an entire uh, document written on, on Jesus' life. And that's outside of scripture. You know, these are not believers. These are not Christians. Um, you have Tacticus, who was a senator, and so he was really well known in that area. Um, in 56 AD, and his journals wrote um, about Jesus that was crucified by Pilate. So he wrote about Jesus' uh, life from a governmental perspective. And so he lived in Judea. He wrote about the crucifixion of, of Jesus and his role before Pilate, uh, before Pilate. And then he wrote about all of his followers that would soon be persecuted after that. So that writing all, is all extemporaneous writing, that part of Scripture. And the list just goes on and on. In 61 AD, um, Gaius Cacticus wrote about the followers that believed that there was a Jesus Christ that, who they believed was God. And they actually worshipped him. And so here in 61 AD, someone was writing about the fact that the early believers in Jesus thought he was God and they worshipped him. Uh, Suetonius, a Roman historian in AD 69, wrote about the followers that believed that Jesus was God as well and talked about the amazing works uh, that Jesus did. Marabar uh, Sapien was a philosopher in AD 70, wrote about the Jews that had Jesus put to death uh, and wrote about the lives of those that believed in him, how they were changed. And so he actually wrote about um, the lives that were changed as a result of who Christ is. Let's just continue. It's AD 80. You know, Philagian was a historian 
uh, wrote about Jesus being able to predict the future and that he actually came back from the dead. And that was in 80 AD. Lucian of Samosa was a Greek satirist in 80, uh, 115. Talked about followers that believed in Jesus and they repented of past behaviors and, and they were a part of this family of God that he was trying to make sense of. Uh, Celsius was a philosopher in 175 AD. I wrote about the claims of Jesus to be God, about his virgin birth and the miraculous powers. And so it's interesting when you look at the writings that are extemporaneous, that have been just from a cultural perspective, how much information there is about who Jesus is. It really is fascinating uh, if you want to look at that. Uh, there was one guy in near uh, 21 uh, AD, 221 AD. His name was Julius Africanus. He was a historian and he was documenting um, he had looked into Christianity, was evaluating the claims, and had put together uh, a research paper at the time. Uh, wrote that about Jesus, that on the whole uh, world there was pressed a most fearful darkness. And so he was writing about this event that occurred in history in which this fearful darkness uh, occurred. The rocks uh, were rent, they all broke apart, and they fell to the ground because of an earthquake. And many places in Judea and other districts were just thrown down. And so he talked about this amazing earthquake in this dark period uh, that Thallius, in his third book of history, calls, uh, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. And so what's interesting is he's really just writing about this next passage. When you look at uh, Luke 23, it was about the sixth hour when Jesus was crucified. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And so, you know, what's fascinating is you look throughout history, you've got all this uh, documentation about who Jesus is outside of the Bible that just reinforces what we find in Scripture. And so it is trustworthy. We can trust it. Jesus makes some claims about himself that are trustworthy and true. As we read through Scripture, this is where we know to find the ultimate truth about who Jesus is. Everything that we need to know is in here. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is God. And it might seem like a very basic uh, concept until um, you try to explain it to somebody. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? You know, he is God. And that's really important for us to know because he's not just a man. He's just not a prophet. He's not just a good guy. He is God in the flesh. We know there's truth. We know there's a God. We know the Bible's true. Last week we looked at suffering. Today we're looking at what the Bible says about Jesus. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the fact that Jesus is God. And that really is important for us to know. There's a passage in Luke uh, chapter 5. It's one of my favorite verses uh, when it comes to looking at who Jesus is. And it tells a story about some men that have a friend that are paralyzed And uh, Jesus has been moving uh, throughout the land. He's been performing miracles. He's been healing people. And uh, their friend uh, is paralyzed. He can't move. And so they hear about Jesus being in town. And so they want to take their friend to go see Jesus so so that he can get healed. And so that's the reason for their visit. Hey, there's a healer over here. Let's let's take our friend and go get him healed. And so when they get there, there's no place to get in. The place is just packed. He's speaking to a full house. And I just picture him in the house. He's teaching and, and everybody's just sitting there, just kind of listening, hanging on his words. And so I imagine this quiet scene where Jesus is just teaching to this huge group. 
They can't get his friend in. And so out of desperation, they crawl up to the top of the roof and they dig a hole in the top of this room uh, to let them friend down in front of Jesus. And I just I think about the desperation of what that might have looked like, that somebody would go to that such an extreme length to actually destroy somebody's house. And I would imagine that Jesus would be sitting there talking. He's just kind of talking like you and I are talking. And he's just standing there. All of a sudden, the roof caves in. I mean, can you imagine the imagery of that? So I look at the first service, the rope was too long. But, you know, think about what it would have been like to have something that dramatic happen in the middle of all this teaching. I mean, the desperation to dig through somebody's roof to get somebody healed is a desperate measure. Wouldn't you disagree? I mean, it's, it's, it's not as if they just showed up and they oh, we can't get in, let's go away. Out of desperation, they dig in through somebody's house to lower their friend down. When was the last time you were that desperate for something? Maybe you were ill or sick or you wanted some healing. And what would motivate you to be that desperate for something? You know, I had uh, several years ago, it was right after I started here at Springbrook, um, I got that dreaded um, parental call uh, at night. I had just gone to bed. I got a call from one of my friend's daughters. And, and uh, hi, this is, this is uh, so-and-so. I'm friends with your daughter. I just want to let you know she's had a rock climbing accident. She's fallen. And, and uh, we called the ambulance. And uh, both her ankles and both her legs were broken. And she said, okay, but i got to go. The, the ambulance showed up. I'm thinking, whoa. You hang up this phone before we talk, I will find you. <laughs> I need more information. <laughs> to which you couldn't give any. And so upon hearing that news, I ran down. My wife came in and we got in the car. We had to drive all the way up to Wisconsin. And the whole time up there, I was desperately praying, God, watch over her. Make it not be serious. God, heal her, whatever's happening there. And I tell you, when I saw her, I tell you what, if I had had the opportunity to put her on a mat and get her to Jesus so that she could be healed, man, I would, have, I would have out of desperation done that. I mean, when was the last time you were so desperate for something that you would dig through somebody's house to get them healing? That's what these friends did. You know, they cared so much about their friend. They, he wanted so desperately to be healed. It led to extreme measures. And, and when he finally gets there and he's laying there, what happens in Luke chapter 5, verse 20? When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Okay. That's interesting. What's that mean? meant nothing to them at the time. I mean, there's no context for them with regard to forgiveness of sins. You know, we look at that today and think, well, okay. It's important to have forgiveness of sins. But these guys didn't dig through the house to get forgiveness of sins. Why are they there? Oh, and healing. Yeah, that's nice, but man, what about my friend? And so they did not understand what was happening there. But what was interesting was there were scribes and Pharisees who were around there, who were the teachers of the law, the Jews. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. And they began to question him. Who is this that speaks blasphemy against God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so the Pharisees heard what Jesus said. They understand what he said, and they were accusing him of blasphemy. You know, this claim is ultimately what would lead to his arrest, being beaten, being crucified, and dying on a cross. The Jews were so angry 
about Jesus' claims that they put him to death. That was the reason they killed him, was because he was what? Claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what Jesus had just done, had forgiven his sins. And then in the next verse, in 23, he says this to the Pharisees. They're looking on. Well, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk? Which one of those is easier? So that you might believe that I am who I claim to be, watch this. Get up from your mat and walk. Rise and go home. And that happened. Jesus performs this great miracle to point to the fact that he is who he claimed to be. Miracles, as you read throughout the New Testament, all point to who Jesus is and who he claimed to be. The point of the story is not go to Jesus and get your wounds healed or whatever the problem is. The point of the story is, is Jesus takes that moment, that desperation, that bigger crowd to say, I want you to know that I am God, that I am here for a purpose. And so that you understand this, watch this. And a man rises up from his mat and walks. That is the miracle, <laughs> Right? It's a miracle that God would choose in his infinite plan to draw any of us into a relationship with himself. Jesus is God. And you might already know that, but have you ever tried to explain that to some, someone? This morning, there's many people here that believe Jesus is God. This is a church, right? <laughs> That's why we're here, to worship. But I also tell you, there's a lot of people here that don't know that, that haven't heard that before, or have questions about what that means. You know, not everyone is at the same place spiritually, and that's okay. Regardless of where anybody is, we're glad they're here. But ultimately, we want to help people to understand that Jesus is God. That's a foundational principle that is at the basis of our faith. Because if he's not God, then we're still stuck in our sins, and there's no solution for how do we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus being God is pivotal. Now, I was talking with a guy that had been here for um, quite some time, actually. If you've been at Springbrook for a while, um, you would know them. Um, but through this process of just talking through uh, where are you in your spiritual journey, where are your next steps, we're talking about baptism and making a faith commitment. And to my surprise, um, after all this time and after all these conversations, uh, we came to the point where he said, I don't believe Jesus is God. I was like, I wouldn't have guessed that. I've known you for years. I would not have guessed that you did not know Jesus was God. And so I can guarantee you there's other people that are sitting here that have been here that I know that we've all talked to, that you've seen, that you've known, that don't know that Jesus is God. And so you might know that Jesus is God, but are you able to explain that to somebody? If you don't know that Jesus is God, what's it going to take for you to cross that line of faith and say, okay, I believe Jesus is God. I want forgiveness of sins. I want to commit my life to Christ. Or if you have questions about that, or if it's not clear in your mind, then today is the day to clarify it in your mind. If you're still not sure, we'd love to talk with you. But Jesus being God is a foundational biblical truth. I love my mom and dad. And uh, I grew up in a home where uh, my dad had been exposed to different you know, religions and different thought processes. And we went to church on and off, but we never, I never was quite sure why. Um, I loved them both dearly, but it was, I was 33 years old before I knew that. 33 years old. I'd been going to church on and off and 33 years old before I knew, hey, Jesus was God and that's where I get forgiveness of sins. Now, my mom made a faith commitment. She's been baptized. 
Um, she had a walk with Christ. She was involved in a local church, and she went to be with the Lord um, two years ago this coming May. I still miss the heck out of her. But I'm celebrating to this day that she is in God's presence because of who she is in Christ. My dad made a faith commitment. He got baptized. He got active in a local church. He's in a small group, and it's been so exciting to see him grow in his faith. My sister and I, both our entire immediate family, has a relationship with Christ. And I can celebrate that with my kids. But that was not my experience growing up. And that's not the experience of the majority of people that I talk to. It's not the experience of the majority of people that I talk to in this community that come into our church. And so we are called to be witnesses to share this good news with other people. And so there's a sense sometimes that we can be going through a series like that and think, well, it needs to be a little bit deeper. But you know what? It's a, it is deep. <laughs> this is deep stuff. Jesus is God. and <laughs> It's important. We have to help others to be able to explain that. And so I hope that as we go through this series, as we come to the conclusion of this series next week, that you have been able to look back and see, wow, I have learned some things that are going to be helping me to be effective at sharing my faith or growing in my faith. And we are so glad that you've been able to you know, be here with us today as we talk about this important topic. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And uh, the Jews kind of get him off to the side. They've got him surrounded. They gathered around him and they said, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, just tell us plainly, would you please? Well, uh, I've already told you, and you don't believe. Your problem. (laughs) They're waiting for a Messiah. The Jews today are still waiting for a Messiah to come. And He's coming, Jesus Christ. They just denied He is who He is. And so Jesus said, look, I told you, you just don't believe. The works that I'm doing in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. You know, God gives us the promise of eternal life because of who we are in Christ. And we can rest secure in in the fact that we do know who He is. The Father is greater than all. The Father is greater than all. And this next one, that my sheep hear their voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them what? Eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. And so is the Father. In this next passage, we're going to see Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come to you in John 15. But when the Helper comes, that I'm going to send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds for the Father, He will bear witness about me. One of the great mysteries of Scripture is the fact that there's one God. That the Father's God, the Son's God, and the Holy Spirit's God. If I had been writing this story, I probably would have made it a little bit more simple. But it's a reality of Scripture. We know there's one God. exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to that previous passage. When Jesus says, my Father who is given to me is greater than all, the Son supports himself. He's subordinate to the Father. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Father, help me to do Your will. The Father has the will. The Son executes it and the Holy Spirit is working in our lives today. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work together. And so that next passage when Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, that's the word of truth that's going to proceed for the Father. He's going to bear witness about me. And so the Holy Spirit is working, drawing people to Himself today as the third person of the Trinity. But the foundational principle that we want to look at this morning is is that Jesus Christ is God. He is our mediator. He's the way that we get to the Father. 
We pray to our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Even if you don't know how to pray, Romans says that the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf for you. God in three persons is working in our lives and has a plan for each of us. And it begins with the foundational principle that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is God. This is why when he says the first and fourth greatest commandment is love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's why we do what we do. We worship God. We're here today to give God his rightful place in our day. It's Sunday. We've come to worship God. We're giving him his rightful place in our day. In our office, we talk about whether we're doing this at the beginning of the week or the end. We're finishing up the week. Sunday is the last day of the week. Just, just in case everybody's wondering. Tell Pastor Dan, Sunday is the last day of the week. <laughs> we're here to worship and give God his rightful place in our week. That's what this is all about. You know, Jesus is God. We're loving God. We honor God with our time, with our finances, with our spiritual gifts, with our talents. Our kids are a stewardship gift. We, we raise them up. We're stewards with our kids. That's why Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. That's why we take serving and, and, and doing ministry is such an important. We're loving others. We're serving others. Go make disciples. You know why disciple making is so important? It's a command. Our Lord and God told us to go make disciples. While you're out there, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is God. And his words carry weight and importance. One of the marks of a believer is obedience. That's why we do what we do, because Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus saves us. So who is Jesus? He is our Savior. And I tell you, this was one that um, it just took me a while to get my arms wrapped around as well. So there's a God, but, then, but we need salvation. And so what is the difference between knowing there's a God and knowing what salvation is? Well, salvation comes through who Christ is. Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, it's a trustworthy saying, and deserving of full acceptance, deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to what? To save sinners of who I am the foremost. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. Paul understands that God is holy. You know, the more holy you recognize God is, the more unholy you realize that separation is between you and him. How many would say that they're perfect? Can anybody say that they're perfect? There's an instinct that every one of us has that knows no one's perfect. Isn't there? I've never met a perfect person. I want to be perfect. Instinctually, we know that. God is perfect. And we know that too. So what do you do with that gap? Perfection and imperfection don't mix. That's where Jesus came to save us. That's what we need to be rescued from. Our own imperfection, our sin. And it's, it's not just behavior. It's a result of being human, sent into the world through Adam. We all have this problem, recognized or not. We all need to be saved. That was news to me because I thought I was a pretty good person. You know, God in his infinite wisdom brought my better half into my life 32 years ago. We celebrated 32 years of marriage last week, and it has been such a journey. I tell you, that gets, that gets God's, that's all the glory of God there. <laughs> You know, God put Carolyn into my life. She was the only believer I knew. There was something different about her. 
that was attractive to me, other than the fact that she was really good looking. And uh, I thought, man, I, that's somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. <laughs> but you know what's funny? That only gets you so far. And then something else happens. She had a relationship with Christ. And I, I tell you, those first ten years of our marriage um, had everything to do with the fact we got through those because of who she was in Christ. I was 33 years old before I stepped into a church. I heard about this, that Jesus was God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and I could have a personal relationship with him, and it changed my life. And uh, we've been married 32 years now, and and the first 10 I'm grateful for because God brought four beautiful daughters into my life, and I love my family, but those first 10 years were just really painful. I really wish that I had known this earlier. You know, but God in his infinite wisdom... Uh, works his plans out to accomplish his purposes. And so Paul understood this sin problem that he had. And because he recognized how holy God was, he recognized how separated he was. And that's so true because the more you understand how holy God is, the more you recognize how much you are in desperate need of reconciling yourself to him. Those two things are work together. Paul's view of who Jesus was was so lofty, so holy that he recognized that he was the chief among sinners. He recognized the seriousness of that gap. After the Jews took uh, Jesus into custody, they took him to Pontius Pilate. It's like the governor. To, uh, they wanted to have him crucified. They take him to Pilate. And then uh, First John, or in John chapter 18, Pilate looks at Jesus and, and says, so here you're a king. Jesus says, well, you say that I'm a king. He said, for this purpose, I was born. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The purpose that Jesus came into the world. He wasn't born like you and I were born. He was with his heavenly father and he came into the world to manifest the presence of God among us so that we might know God more clearly, and that he could bear witness to who the Father was, who the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit was, and to bear witness to the truth that we need to know about Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, to bear witness to the truth, knowing that he is the truth, and knowing where he came from. Jesus came into the world, was what the Father came into the world. He emptied himself and took on the form of a man, Not that we might understand that, but to accomplish the Father's will. To bear witness to the truth that we might rightly know God, glorify God, and enjoy eternal life with God. Jesus is the truth. He's revealing himself, who God is, and his nature. And everyone who knows the truth knows Jesus, hears his voice, and follows. In John 17, in verse 1 through 4, Jesus is praying to his Father. And uh, he puts it this way. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. Jesus Christ came to bring glory to the Father and to bring us eternal life so that we might know them and have a relationship with them. He came to give us life, to reconcile us 
to God. The work that God gave him to do, the work that the Father gave the Son to do, was to testify to the truth, to show the glories of God, His marvelous power, His grace, and His mercy, and so we can experience genuine relationship with a Father that loves us and cares us and wants a relationship with us. That's eternal life, that they know the one true God. The purpose of Jesus is to witness to that truth. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn it, not to condemn it, but that we might be saved through Him. Jesus Christ came so that we might be saved through Him. But He's going to come back. And the next time He comes back, it's not going to be to reconcile. It's going to be to judge the living and the dead. And so each one of us needs to make a decision about what we're going to do with Jesus Christ today. Because he's going to come back. No one knows the day or the hour. The Father does. But we want to be in a, in a right position with God before he comes back. Amen? We need to make a decision about who Jesus is. That's number three. Jesus requires a decision. We need to make a decision about who he is. And, and it's not a gray area. It's, it's, it's either he is God and he has forgiven our sins and we have a right relationship with God. Or we don't believe he's God. We don't have a relationship with Him and we're still dead in our sins. But we know that we're dead in our sins because we know nobody's perfect and so we're all messed up. It's only through Christ that our lives can be transformed and we can be brought in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It requires a decision. The most important decision that we can make in this life affects what's going to happen in the next life. You are not an accident. There's more to this life than just this life. There's something more coming. We instinctively know that. You're not an accident. And God has a plan for us. That plan can only be fully realized when we understand who we are in Christ. We're going to spend eternity either in God's presence or apart from God's presence. No one likes the idea of hell. I know I don't, but it's a reality. We don't like the idea of death. I don't like the idea of death. I don't know anybody that's excited about death. I'm looking forward to being in God's presence. But the idea of death doesn't excite me. But we all have to deal with that, don't we? In the same way, we all have to deal with the reality of what happens after we pass. John 1.12 says this, All who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives what? The right to become children of God. God loves the world, but when we receive Jesus Christ, we ask him to come into our life, then we're called his children and we belong to his family. God's love and God's family are two different things. God's judgment is going to be just, We experience that judgment and the favorability of that when we understand who we are in Christ and we're his children. I I treat my children differently when they come to my door at 2 o'clock in the morning than I do somebody that I don't know. (laughs) I love everybody, but not everybody's busting through my door at 2 o'clock in the morning. My kids get to walk in anytime they want. There's a difference between the love that I have for people and the love that I have for my kids. And when we ask Jesus Christ into our lives, when we give him his proper place in our lives, we are his children. Children. That's a promise that we have because of who we are in Christ and because of God's Word. John 15, verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and what? Prove to be my disciples. And so who are the children of God? Who are the people that have a relationship with Christ? What does it mean to be a follower? Well, we bring our Father glory and we bear much fruit. When we do those things, it proves that we are who we say we are. And so if I tell you I have a million dollars, you know, you're going to want to see that. Wow, really? I'd like to see a million dollars. Anybody see a million dollars? Wouldn't that be cool? If I told you I had it, you'd want to see that. Well, 
if you're going to be a follower, if you want to glorify your Father in heaven, bearing fruit is a part of how we prove who we are. We all know what it means to be a hypocrite. Well, he says this thing, but he does that. That's not what being a follower is. You know, when I first became a Christ follower, I told my wife I had to come home, and I had to. Uh, I told her what had happened and the experience, and I, and um, and my past behavior and what I had found in Scripture just really convicted me. And I had I had to I had to get down, and I I had to apologize for ten years. I had to ask her forgiveness and say I want something different from my life than you've experienced. To which she said, "Great, let me see that starting tomorrow." <laughs> it didn't start tomorrow, but I started reading God's Word. I got involved in a small group. I had some guys around my life. I got baptized. I got involved in a small group, and God slowly began to change me, and I had to build that trust back up. It took me about a year. A lot of times, especially guys, I'm telling you, if you make a faith commitment and you go walking in and think everything's going to be fine, it takes a little bit of time. You have to be consistent. You have to work your faith out so as to prove the fact that you're a disciple. Change doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. And it needs to happen. That's how we prove we are who we say we are. In John 14:6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to our Heavenly Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other ways. There's, there's not, well, if I do these ten things, I'm okay. Or maybe if I go over here, I'm going to be okay. There's, there's one way to experience eternal life in relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so there's a decision that needs to be made about what we're going to do with Jesus. And the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior puts you in the camp of being one of His children and having the guarantee of, of that promise. If you don't make that decision then you're choosing not to do that. And the next person, Jesus talks about this in, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 12. Whoever's not with me is what? Against me. You're either with me or against me. You've seen Night and Day. That's a great movie. With me, without me. With me, without me. You're one side or the other. You're either with Jesus or you're standing against him. And so the decision for Christ must be made. If you don't make a decision for Christ, it's actually making one to be against. And so we each have to wrestle through what this looks like in our own lives. And this morning, if you've made that decision and you're fully experiencing all the benefits of being a believer, then it's my prayer that God would use this series that we're going through, not something to be thought of as remedial, but something to be said. There's got some depth to this. I need to know these things so that I can share them with my kids, my coworkers, my neighbors. We've been entrusted with a gold mine. We have the assurance and know what it means to have life and have it to the full. And we share that with other people. So my prayer for each of us is if you have a relationship with Christ, that as we've gone through this series, that God has encouraged you in your faith and encourage you in being able to share with the people around you. If you're going through this series and you're still wondering about who God is, or if this is your first time and you've come into the middle of our series, we're glad you're here. We've got our messages up online. I would encourage you to find the answers to the questions that you're looking for. I mean, if you, don't, you can't say with certainty you, know, you have a relationship with Christ, we would love to talk with you. We have a baptism class coming up in a few weeks. We have our starting point class. Um, we've got, we, we're trying to remove barriers 
so that people can come in and find the answers to the questions that they're looking for. And if we can help you in any way find answers to those questions, we would love the opportunity to do that. We've got, our, we've got a team of leaders at Springbrook that have been trained in how to have these conversations. And, and I can, we've, I've got 20 people that I can help pair you up. I'd love to talk with you. It, we've removed the barriers so that people can be able to you know, move through our discipleship process smoothly. And that's what our, our discipleship process is all about. We want to help people get connected to who Jesus Christ is in the local body of Christ. We want to help people to experience spiritual growth in the context of a small group and discipleship and, and sharing and learning together. And we want to equip them for ministry so that they know their spiritual gifts and so that they can minister to others around them. And then we want to release them into the world as we multiply believers, small groups, and churches. God's great, isn't he? Our ushers are going to come forward now. And you, uh, in just a moment, you've got, you've got a welcome slip attached to the right side of your program. If you've got any questions about anything that we've covered, you know, I'd love to talk with you more about that. Um, but I'd like to ask you, if we, let's just commit um, the remaining time uh, that we have together uh, in prayer. Let's just ask God to continue um, to draw each closer to himself to reveal his plans for each of our lives with clarity and give thanks for this day. Father, I just thank you for, for the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, God, I thank you that, uh, that you sent your son uh, into this world to die for my sins, for our sins. Uh, God, thank you for taking on the iniquity of the world. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for your spirit that guides and directs us. God, even when I'm at a loss for words and don't know how to pray, God, your spirit intercedes for me. And so I just thank you uh, for that gift. I thank you for the love that you have for us. I thank you for this time that we've been able to share together today. Thank you for the opportunity. We have to be salt and light in our community, helping others ultimately to know the love that you have for them as well. God, I pray that you would just continue to provide for our ministry. We look forward to the great things you have for us as we begin to move into the end of this year and start praying for your direction uh, in 2018. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the gift of your son. And for all these things, in Jesus' name, amen.